0: Belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for January 9th, 2022 is called Excuses, Excuses. The teacher is John Ray and the location is Clap Auditorium, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. My name is John Ray. Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas, really glad you're here this morning. Um, My dad couldn't understand it, but he really went along with it anyway. Back when I was a young teenager, we were shopping for a new pair of boots, very Texan thing to do, right, with that, and he'd steered me into the Lucchese store. Now, you may not be familiar with Lucchese boots, but you will be after this story. Um, and he pulled a couple pair out for me to try on. I wasn't that familiar. I was a young teenager. I was just wanted to go, and I knew I was going to get a new pair of boots and went in there, and and I tried these on at the store that he tried, but I really I was impatient because I wanted to get to the store where I knew I had the pair that I wanted. And so, you know, he pulled a couple off. They fit really nice. They looked good, and he was like, do you want these? And I'm like, dad, ah, no, really. I, these other pair I want. And he was like, well, I'm telling you, You'd be better off choosing this pair, but being a young teenager like I was, um, I was like, nope, I got my heart set on this pair of Dan Post uh, that all my friends were wearing at the time with that. Um, Here's the moral, is that that was a pretty bad exchange. Dan Post aren't bad boots but they're nothing compared to Casey boots. So imagine someone offering you a Mercedes and you're like, no, I'll, I'll take the Hyundai, please. Or someone says, hey, we're going out to, to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. And you're like, "Ah, oh, I'd rather have a Happy Meal at McDonald's with that. I mean, that's kind of the way it is. And I'm I'm sure I like the boots. I'm sure I, I wore them, but then I wore them and threw them away. It's, they're just in if. I'd got the Luke Casey. I'd probably still have him today. Anyway, I made the choice because my imagination was limited. It was overly formed by what I saw my peers choosing and valuing. It was because I really didn't understand also fully what I was being offered at the time. I didn't pay attention to what my dad was trying to show me, what he was trying to share, to share with me. Well, our choices matter, as we've talked about. Tim already told us, kids, right? Like our choices matter with this. They matter in small things like boots and Snickers candy bars, but also in huge things like how we respond to God's ongoing invitation to us. You see, supremely valuing our invitation to and belonging in The kingdom of God should be at the center of every decision we make. (coughs) Nothing says more about us than the choices we make. Except maybe the excuses we make for those choices. Those say a lot. Well, let's look at the text. So as we talked about last week, we're starting this series of looking at Jesus around the table. Jesus, the way the kingdom of God the way God's character and nature is expressed when we come around the tables. And this is a kind of a two-part illustration that Luke gives us. We're going to look a lot at Luke in the coming weeks. Um, And we're going to start with with the tail end of it. We're going to go back and look at the start of the story next week. We're looking at Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 15. Jesus is at a meal. He's just told a parable. And then someone gets up and says, when one of those at the meal... One of those at the meal with Jesus heard this. He said to him, blessed is everyone who will feast in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, so Jesus is kind of giving a rebuttal to this. He says, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time for the banquet, he sent his slave to tell those who who had been invited, come, because everything is now ready. But one after another, they all begin to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field, I must go and see to it, please excuse me. Another said, I bought five yoke, five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to examine them, please excuse me. Another said, I got married, I cannot come. So the slave came back and reported this to the master. Then the master of the household was furious and said to his slave, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the city, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Then the slave said, sir, what you have instructed has been done. There is still room. So the master said to his slave, go out to the highways and the country roads and urge people to come in so that my house will be filled. For I tell you, not one of those individuals who are invited will taste my banquet. Now it's interesting when you look at this, what you see, the reoccurring theme here is of excuses that are made. And And it's interesting when you look at the word excuse in the Greek, What it speaks of, the image it gives, is of parallel things being laid side by side to each other. And that's really what an excuse is, right? It's, here's the thing, and here's our reason for not doing the thing. We we measure them up against each other. We lay them side by side. An excuse is 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 a parallel, something that we lay up against something else with that. So, what did this mean? At Grace Church, we ask whenever we're doing this, we get together at the teaching team. We say, "Well, what does this mean to the original hearers? What does it mean? What does it mean to now to us, both corporately and individual?" So, what did this mean to the original hearers? Well, you have to understand, this was a serious slap in the face to the original hearers. The predominant audience at this would have been born, bred, died in the world Jewish people, Jewish identity, that whole deal. Jesus is essentially saying, "Those of you who are chosen aren't going to make it in, because you've made it. You've excused your way out." Now you have to understand that that would be such a serious affront to the Jewish person's identity, because their whole identity was built on being in, on being included. The whole Jewish identity was the idea of being chosen. They were the ones who would be at the feast. Not only that, they would be the ones who got the best seat at the table. That's how they they formed their whole concept of self, was being on the inside on God's good graces, being part of the kingdom. And Jesus is essentially saying, you got it wrong. You, in fact, have opted your way out of that position and your place at the table is going to be filled by the people that you don't think deserve to be there. Not only is it one, it's one insult to be excluded, it's a whole nother level of insult when all of a sudden you see your place being taken by someone that you consider unworthy, unclean, unwelcome. They're sitting at your place at the table. This riled up, Jesus hears. Well, but what does it mean to us? Because we like to, you know, we, we like to quickly think, we like to quickly put us um, like, okay, well, that's great because I was one of those that was outside. Now I got that person seated at the table, so I'm all good now, right? Like we hear the story, we're like, ah, tough for the Jews, but whoo, good for me. Not so quick. Not so quick, friends. So one of the things I've challenged in the teaching team is that each week that we look at these parables to come up with our own paraphrase with this. Last week, I kind of cheated, and I used Dallas Willard's uh, paraphrase of Psalm 23, but this is the John Ray version of this parable. So one of those at the meal listening to Jesus remarked, everyone who gets a seat at the kingdom table is set. But Jesus turned it around and told another story. Once upon a time, a serious mover and shaker rented out the town center and organized the party to end all parties. When everything was ready, he sent the invites and waited for the RSVPs to roll in. Instead of a flood of yeses, he got a slew of excuses. One read, hate to miss it, but I have a business dinner that night. Another said, so sorry, I can't make it but that's the same weekend as the antique market. Another said, kids' soccer tournament has us out of of town then. Rain check? As these and other excuses rolled in, the man was hot. He got his employees together, sending them out with invitations to whoever they could find it. Seven Hills or sleeping along the trail, huddled in the halfway houses and in the lifestyle apartments. They came back and gave a report. Saying they still had some unfulfilled chairs. The man said, Keep at it. Head out into the gay bars, the hippie communities, the back roads. Go find all those restaurant workers who have to work on Sundays. Make a place for them. Go find everyone who's told they're not excluded. Go find all those who have been burnt by church, who have been abused by religion. Go make a place and invite them into the place. Because when this party starts popping and all those who decline change their minds and want to see, I want even the standing room only to be so full that they'll be left on the other side of the road. The John Ray version. You see, this says a lot about the people that heard the offer. When we read this, The rich see it as just another opportunity. The poor see it as the opportunity. Those who already count themselves on the inside see it as just an option to be fitted into their social calendar if it works. Those who have been left out, who have been marginalized, excluded, hurt, burnt, they see it as the opportunity of a lifetime. Y'all, the gospel message. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. This this is the blessing that we get, the place at the table when we hear that and accept that and take it. Now, I, I want to be quick to say here, the banquet isn't church, okay? I'm not equating, I'm not saying that the kingdom of God equals grace church or even the church, It's not the same thing as as quiet times or serving or going to table group or something. But all those things should be witness to the kingdom of God. All those things should be pointing people to the kingdom of God. All those things are a way that we learn and practice being living into the kingdom of God and the gospel message. And as I was writing this, I thought, what are my excuses? What are the things I lay beside those opportunities, those invitations to be involved in those things and say, yeah, thanks, but no. Or maybe later. Or, well, you know what, if you made it at a more convenient time. Or you made it where it didn't cost so much. Or you made it where it wasn't so uncomfortable. What are the excuses we make when we get these invitations? And what does it mean to us when we read this as individuals? And what does it mean when we read it as a church? And this is where it's, this is where it really gets convicting. For me, at least. You see, our citizenship, our response to this invitation to the kingdom of God um, should be that core citizenship. This is what we are loyal to and who we are loyal to above all else. This is to whom we pledge allegiance, ultimate allegiance. Is Jesus and Jesus' kingdom among us. And it's easy to lose sight of that. It's easy to spiritualize it. It's easy to think that that's some kind of far-off thing or just a philosophical ascent. But no, this is, this allegiance is what should rule every decision that we make. It should affect every choice that we have. It should be the thing that we orient our lives around. For many of us, discipleship—that's maybe a better word here, a better analogy—with it, discipleship, which is the the process of learning how to live into that citizenship, into that allegiance. For many of us, this means just adjusting an overly busy schedule to fit in some Christian activities. For many of us, that's our discipleship as well. It's good, I I understand it, but we'll just fit it into our already overly busy schedules with that. Instead, it should be seen as the thing that, that rules everything that should be the starting point, and everything else orients around that. It should be as if our very survival depends on it, because it does. This is a hard lesson to learn. This is why we're constantly practicing our faith. This is why we have to act our way into a new way of thinking and feeling. We have to remember that grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. Y'all, it is about learning, not earning. So, what do we misunderstand about this? What do we refuse to believe about the kingdom of God that allows for our excuses? This is not a one-off for Jesus, y'all. This parable is not just something that sits alone. In this parable, we get the whole echoes of the Beatitudes or the ethos of Jesus with that. Remember, those who are poor are blessed. Those who are brokenhearted are blessed. Right? Those are the those are the ones that are invited in that. Like this is an ongoing drumbeat in the Gospels. With this, it is not just an esoteric one-off. This is not about a a passage about a people who didn't care, but those who have estimated wrongly, who have chosen amiss, who have misinterpreted the offer, the choice. It's a story about people who laid their own concerns, preferences, and obligations, and loves alongside the call of Jesus and chose wrongly with tragic results for those and those around them. At Grace, this is why we start with belonging. It's a direct reflection and response to this invitation that's given in this passage in so many other places. It starts, everything starts with this seat at the table of Jesus, this invitation to be included in the kingdom of God. Practicing this form of hospitality is essential to our becoming. Are choosing above all else to walk in the way of Jesus. These experiences in turn guide and are guided by what we say we believe. And again, I said it earlier, look, church is not the kingdom of God, but it is an essential and irreplaceable sign and witness to it. A place where we get the vital and necessary practice of living into it. So we're going to have to make some choices as a church going forward. Talking with Beth and Joe just as we started, you know, this is we're we're now fully into this second year of living in the reality of a pandemic. And we're all still trying to make those adjustments. How do we do church? How do we be church? How do we do this in this new landscape of remote working and Zoom calls and social distancing and masking and all these things, right? And it's super easy, it's super easy for us to default to whatever is the easiest for us in those things. What feels the safest. Now, hear me clearly. I'm not defying any any health safety here. I'm talking about emotional response to this. But I can tell you this, as I talk to people who work in healthcare, care, whether that's mental health care, physical health care, involved in essential services and everything, the need for human connection is greater than ever. There is a desperate desperation for that meeting together. But there's also a desperation for a different kind of space. It's not going to be going back to the way things were. It's going to be living into and imagining a new way of gathering, a new way of meeting with that. And as we do that, as we consider these questions, we have to ask, who are we building this church for? As a reflection of this passage, who are we building Grace Church for? Is it the privilege with warm homes, speedy internet, reliable cars, and plenty of leisure time? With weekends off? Is it for people who start with the assumption that we really do have most, if not all, of what we need to be good with God? That we have agency and choice? That we are highly self-sufficient and quite capable of managing? Thank you very much. Are we building it for those who church is an option? An important one, we would say. But when it comes down to it, we're really only committed to it as far as it aligns with our individual preferences and habits. We're committed as far as it doesn't conflict with our other priorities and preferences. Fear and uncertainty always demand that we do less, less, risk less, hoard more, dream less. Our faith for the future darkened by the memories of old failures and weary imaginations. Y'all, if this passage, if this parable is teaching us anything, it's that those of us on the inside who are chosen, who do have the invitation, we have got the invitation, we have to value that as if our survival depends on it, not only ours, but the people who are still out there. And we have to be willing to make room. We have to be willing to do whatever it takes to keep that door open because just as soon as we think, hey, we're all set, we're good, everything fits the way I like it, the way that's comfortable for me, we might just find ourselves on the other side of the road. We might just find that we've maybe even inadvertently excused our way out of the room. We're not there at all. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.